welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome into Chit Chat Money. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I am joined by my co-host, Ryan Henderson. Today is our Tuesday not-so-deep-dive episode where we try to go ingest deeply into a stock where we analyze one company, its business model, ownership, financials, future growth opportunities, much more, giving listeners and watchers the context of what they would maybe need to research a stock further or put it on their watch list. Hopefully, at the end of this episode, you get a better perspective on the company we cover today. We are covering Dollar General, which is a, well, it's at a bit of a crossroads. We're starting a our discount retailers month. And I think the fact that Dollar General is down 60% is the reason we chose this as our theme. For the month of October, is and question for you: Is this the biggest drawdown Dollar General has had in its recent public history? Do you know? I believe I can check really quick, but I believe it is. It didn't go public for. It's been. It, it's only been public not too long. It's been. They came public again public. in two thousand nine, but they were public prior to that too. Yeah, if we go percent off high. Yeah, I mean, this is by far the biggest drawdown. It went down 25%, looks like, in the 2017-ish time period. But now it's uh, 60, yes, exactly 60% off its highs. So yeah, way, way bigger of a drawdown. But yeah, we're doing discount retailers for this month. We got Dollar General. We got Family Dollar. Actually, excuse me, Dollar Tree is the company, but they own Family Dollar and Dollar Tree. It's a bit confusing. Hopefully, we'll clear things up throughout this episode. And then also hitting... Dollarama, which is Canadian one. And then the months after, we are doing some SIN stocks, which will be fun. And then we are also doing luxury, which will be fun as well. But let's get right into it. Ryan, let's give listeners context on what Dollar General's business actually is. So can you take us through what they do? Sure. Dollar General is the largest discount retailer in the US by store count with just under 20,000 locations scattered across the country. I'll talk a little bit more about where those are, but they're not the largest in terms of revenue. Uh, they're not even close. I assume, well, I'm guessing Walmart does substantially more just because of the bigger box formats. But Dollar General's mission statement or kind of their stated business plan I liked reading this because it was far more straightforward than what we typically see. It says, provide a broad base of customers with their basic everyday and household needs supplemented with a variety of general merchandise items at everyday low prices in conveniently located small box stores. Kind of a word salad there, but or maybe not a word salad, but it's a lot. Basically, they're just trying to provide value for customers in small store formats. And here's how a former CEO of Dollar General described the business. He says, if Walmart and 7-Eleven had a baby, that would be Dollar General. So I think that's a really good description, actually. And basically, Dollar General is today essentially a rural grocery store that sells primarily consumable products, things like toilet paper, cereals, milk, frozen foods, candy, plenty of others. Consumables as a category account for 80% of everything Dollar General sells. Now, in during COVID, when there was more stimulus checks, a little more, a little higher savings for Dollar General's customers, there was a little more discretionary spending. So things like seasonal items, home products, so home decor, that kind of thing, and apparel. So, you know, shirts, clothing, that kind of thing. That used to be a bigger percentage, but seasonal is the second largest today. Home products is the third, and then apparel is a really small part of the business. But really, for the most part, this is a consumables store. And today, Dollar General carries in total 
about 10,000 SKUs or stock keeping units. Just think of those as like different different inventory items. So not not specifically different inventory products. How about that? That's a, that's a better terminology. But for context, Walmart carries 142,000 SKUs. So Dollar General actually limited stock in terms of the, the products they supply. Now, I think the 7-Eleven part of that reference comes from the store format. So with about 20,000 stores across the country, Dollar General's average store size is roughly 8,000 square feet. For context, that's about somewhere in between a 7-Eleven and a Trader Joe's. So Trader Joe's is more like the 15,000, 10 to 15,000, and 7-Eleven is more the 4,000 square feet. So it's it's a pretty small store format. And 80% of these stores operate in areas with a population of less than 20,000 people. So Dollar General really targets sparsely populated markets. It's cheap land typically where they can get these stores up and running. And it can be a convenient stop for a lot of these lower income earners, which is that, that is their customer. They're very open and transparent about that. They say that the their customer, and it's interesting to hear the CEO talk about the customer because they continuously refer to it as her or she. She is an hourly worker. She, on average, makes less than $40,000 a year. You can That's how they kind of refer to it in the conference calls. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that typically it's um, a mom or something making purchases on behalf of the household. But I, I've got a map here that shows all the stores located throughout the US. This is a little outdated. People aren't going to be able to see it if you're just listening, but just know it's not just scattered to the big cities. These are they are huge throughout the Midwest, the South, Southeast. They have more stores in Texas than any other state. So like I said, really it's a lot of these rural small town communities with not that many people. A couple of stats though that I found interesting to kind of paint a picture of who the Dollar General customer is and what the typical transaction looks like. The average Dollar General basket size is roughly $20, a little over. The average Dollar General shopper visits a store 32 times a year, so once every 11 days. And the average price per unit sold at Dollar General is just over $3. So these are really low ticket items. They're quick stops on your way home from work. Dollar General really prioritizes not only the value part of of the customer proposition where they're trying to save the customer money, but they're also trying to save them time. They want to get them in and out of the stores quickly because typically, you know, it's, I believe the CEO at a recent conference said, if they're not, if they're shopping, they're not earning because they're typically hourly workers. So it's really, they're trying to save time and money for their customers. And then the last one that I found pretty interesting here, Dollar General has the second highest sales per stock keeping unit of all US retailers behind Costco. Now Costco's miles ahead of any other retailer, but it's Costco, Dollar General, Walmart, and then I'm not sure what the last one is, but they don't carry that many units, but they sell a lot of the units that they have. So that's I think the basics around the business. Do you think I'm missing anything there, Brett? I don't think so. But one Maybe just to key it on that last point for the listeners, the importance there isn't necessarily that they're selling a lot, right? It's not It's not really for the customer's benefit that they're selling a lot of the same SKU, but it's for the supplier negotiations. One of the reasons or one of the key reasons Costco ha- is able to sell so cheaply is that they're very strict with their suppliers and getting the best deals possible. Dollar General probably has a lot of operating leverage there as well. Now, going through the history, Dollar General's roots date back pretty much all the way to the Great Depression. So a gentleman named J.L. Turner was trying to find a way to get by during the Great Depression. And you know, a lot of people are out of work. So his solution was, I think he had some money from kind of a previous sales career. His solution was to buy bankrupt general stores and liquidate their inventory. During this process, he would take his son, Cal Turner, who ended up being Cal Turner Sr., to accompany him where he would basically Cal Turner would get a great view and a great experience learning what's what's it like during closeout sales what's that process like what are customers looking for and 
what's kind of my dad bargaining like what's that whole process and so he really gained a good experience um all around in sales and it ended up paying off so after having some decent success liquidating the general stores jl and cal turner so the father and son decided to open their own store in 1939 each putting in five thousand dollars of their own money the shop which was initially intended to be a wholesaling operation ended up pivoting to a discount retailer and by 1950 it had become a, like a moderate success that i mean it was it was financing their lifestyle they were able to work uh they were able to do this full time and over the following years they kind of rolled out a couple more stores but they were under random labels there was not under a dollar general store yet in 1955 however they decided to launch the very first now people think when they hear the term dollar general i don't think general store for items less than a dollar that's not for some reason the general part kind of pairs in but that was the concept it was the dollar general store i I don't know if it, I don't know if you do the same, but I picture like some some general. I don't know. Okay. Anyways, yeah. it uh that's that's kind of how it started, and it was really a novel concept at the time. But every item in the store had to sell for less than a dollar, and so as you can imagine, when that's kind of the first concept or the the original concept, it ended up attracting a lot of people. It was a major success, and so they. Uh, changed their old labels on their old stores to new Dollar General titles. And so this was huge for them. This was kind of the the launching or the jumping off point. And Cal Turner Jr., or sorry, Cal Turner Sr., the son of JL, was leading the company at the time. He led it for 30 years before passing it off to his son, Cal Turner Jr., who also ran the company for 30 years. It said, I mean, this isn't really that important, important to the thesis today, but Cal Turner Sr. was kind of a famous local salesman. He believed he could sell anything. In fact, according to a substack that I've linked to, and I will link to in our uh, write-up that we do to accompany these, and it's from Sayu Lee. He's on Twitter. He wrote a good substack blog on it. Cal Turner Sr. once said, if the price is right, I can sell pink pants to guys. And that was basically, you know, he wanted to be that kind of a salesman. I've got a picture in here outside of a dollar general store with a bunch of guys lined up in peak pants. So it is, uh, it's kind of interesting that he was, I don't know, he was just this kind of charismatic, very sales oriented person. Anyways, following the introduction of that banner, they obviously had a ton of success, both ran the company for more than 30 years, and then finally handed over the reins to the first outsider CEO named David Perdue in 2003. He was the one that originally said, if Walmart and 7-Eleven had a baby, it would be Dollar General. Well, he didn't end up doing very well as a CEO. He was pretty unsuccessful. Margins came in a lot while he was running the company. And so in 2007, it was a public company by this time. So in 1968, Dollar General went public for the first time. But in 2007, KKR took the company private and replaced Purdue with Rick Drayling as the CEO. Drayling is really... He's considered responsible for architecting the modern Dollar General business. I think when Drayling took over, it was in the mid-thousands stores. Today, it's almost near 20,000. He famously said that he thinks there's an opportunity for 25,000 stores across the country. He really pioneered well he was the architect of the modern strategy where he basically said we want three things we want same store sales growth store count growth and we're going to buy back our shares and the same store sales growth is not just from price increases they keep their price increases consistent with inflation they're trying to drive more volume through the stores more foot traffic and then more items in the basket but you know he, he was a really important figure in this and he ended up stepping down in 2015 for the CEO or sorry, COO to become the CEO. His name was, let me get it, Todd Vassos. He resigned last year. Now this part's important. After stepping down, Rick Draylin, I'm not sure what he did for the following seven years, but he just took over as the CEO of Dollar Tree, which is Dollar General's biggest competitor. So he's been out of the game for a little while, stepped back in. I think he was a chairman or he was on the board of Dollar Tree. And now he's officially become the CEO there. So he's still kind of in the picture now, but at a competitor, 
it's a brand new management team. They've really kind of cleared house here. So uh, Brett's going to get into that in a little bit, but why don't you start with the uh, landscape and industry overall? Chit Chat Money is brought to you by Interactive Brokers. Designed for active traders and sophisticated investors, Interactive Brokers offers trading assets in 150 markets with 27 different currencies. They charge USD margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83%, rated the lowest among margin fees. The ability to trade stocks, bonds, options, futures, commodities, and more with high interest rates paid on instantly available cash balances, plus the ability to lend your eligible stock shares to earn passive income all on one single unified platform that is why we at chit chat money use ibkr and wouldn't use anything else restrictions apply for more information visit ibkr.com info member sipc open an account with ibkr today Yep. And the relationship to Dollar Tree is important. We are going to hit that stock next week. So if you are new to the show, make sure to just follow it wherever you're going and you'll get that right in your podcast player of choice. I'll talk industry and competition. The exact size of the discount retail market, I think is hard to quantify because on the one hand, Dollar General is targeting their niche, which is essentially geographic and is not going to be, you know, it's going to be in those rural areas with 80% of the stores in population centers under 20,000. They have a goal of hitting about 30,000 stores around the country, give or take. Um, I think that size of that potential market in the country is relevant, given that they're probably going to close in on 20,000 stores here shortly. But at the 2016 Investor Day, management claimed there was a $793 billion addressable market for discount retail. But that includes you know, drugstores and urban centers, mass market retail, grocery, and convenience store chains. Now, there's probably a big overlap with convenience store chains and some of the mass market stuff here, but they're really not competing with a lot of this stuff, which does limit the total size of this business. But... On the one hand, and we'll talk about this, this is the big competitive advantage that people and investors get attracted to Dollar General for is that in a lot of these rural communities, historically, and maybe we can discuss whether I think the big one of the big questions we'll have in the closing here is whether this has changed, but there hasn't been much competition at all for the core, uh, not maybe, you know, they'll shop at Walmart as well, but the core, all right, right next to me, I got to run, pick up a few items type stuff. In 2016, and still so today, Dollar General has greater than 50% market share within the dollar store channel. So this includes the big three, which is Dollar General, Dollar Tree, and Family Dollar, plus a lot of mom and pops out there. They have greater than 50% market share, so they are dominating this market. And like I said, there's the big three that dominate as well. Family Dollar and Dollar Tree have sizable businesses. Uh, If we look at Dollar Tree and Family Dollar combined, they did about $28 billion in sales in 2022 versus $37.8 billion for Dollar General. So not if you combine both of those, they're pretty close, but on their own, they're not nearly as big. However, if we go for a more direct competitor, Family Dollar is the one that is actually trying to go after the same market that Dollar General is. It has more of a rural focus while Dollar Tree is going to be generally in more densely populated areas. Now, it's not 100% of the time like that, but a lot of the times, that is how it works. Last quarter, and I think this is important, this is (laughs) maybe the number one reason why the stock is down, family dollars, comp sales grew 5.8%, while dollar generals were essentially flat. And I I think we can maybe talk about other competitive threats. There's the Walmart question, right? which I think a lot of people may misunderstand, but also is you know going after some of the same uh, lower income consumers. There's the Amazon potential threat, and then there's the online discounters, which is big today with the TMU threat that seems to be flooding the market. So Ryan, any thoughts there where, and I, did I mention that Dollar Generals were, had flat comp sales, right? So yeah. I say reiterate that Dollar Generals flat last quarter, family dollar, 5.6%. So any thoughts on there? on the competition, which is very important for them. Yeah. And actually Walmart grocery, which they don't break it out explicitly, but they kind of gave some 
commentary on the conference call that you can kind of back into, I think had double digit comps. So positive. Are you sure that, are you sure they're really a direct competitor though? Walmart grocery, because the, you know, dollar general doesn't really have fresh items. I I mean, it's 80% consumables. Yeah, but it's not fresh produce. It's not, I don't, I mean, you have this in the anecdote. There's like some, I mean, there's some, uh, I think there's a reason too that Alex, our friend, always comps the two. The they always he always compares the comp sales, and maybe it's not you know, Walmart's not going to. They're not necessarily competing in the direct town. Like they're not going to put a one hundred thousand square foot store in a town with twenty thousand people. But I think if you can get more from a Walmart run, so say you're a town that's forty miles away from a Walmart. If you can get more than that, you might be eating some share off the edges from Dollar General. Yeah, I think that makes sense. But the one thing is Dollar General always, they keep saying that they're gaining share. So I don't know, maybe they're both gaining share generally. And obviously last quarter, they didn't gain, you know, the comp sales weren't the same. But I I don't, because, okay, uh, Walmart's invested a lot in grocery. They've done pretty well. Um, And... At the same time, Dollar General's consumable business has grown a ton. I think it went from like twelve billion or so in twenty twelve to what eighty percent of almost forty billion today. So, I has the here's here's the big question: Has the Walmart competition changed in recent years? Do you think? No, I don't think so. I, I think maybe I'm coming around more to your view that. This recent turbulence has not been caused by Walmart. I don't think Amazon and Timo are really competitors. I mean, you think about the items that they're purchasing here, 15 to $20 basket size. Is that something that you need to buy on Amazon? It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Some of these items are $3 units. Like you don't want to pay for shipping and handling for that. For if, Timu, anything, I don't... if anything, Amazon is more of a competitor to Walmart in rural areas if they invest, I would say, right? For like, you know, subscribe and say big, big basket purchases. Yeah. And I don't think Timu is that big in the consumables space. It's mostly the discretionary items, really things people just absolutely don't need. And, you know, like, I don't know yeah, if you've gone on Timu, you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's not, it's they, certainly discretionary. Yeah. And you could definitely see them getting hurt by this in the discretionary category for at least a short while, but unless Timu's Unit economics change, which they're, we don't have good data, but they're the math that people are doing is that it's it's really really bad. It's not sustainable. So I, think, I don't know. Maybe it, is it Family Dollar? Do you think that's the big? What's what's causing this yeah. problem for them? You know, maybe it's just one, a couple quarters where comp sales are a little different, but maybe it's more so that the consumer. It's just pulling back on dollar general spending. Now, I think you would see that at family dollar as well, but maybe, I don't know, maybe family dollar has like an easy comp set, an easier yeah. comp set. I don't know. It's right. hard. I, it's really hard to like pin it down. And I think that's what has investors worried is because we're going to go back and forth on this on the earnings too. Like there's a lot of things going on here. Part of it's when we talk about margins, part of it's the mix shift, but it's hard to pin down what exactly is going wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. And I think that's a big question. I'm going to, ha- we're going to discuss for a little while longer here. And then I have that question saved for the end. So maybe as we discuss this, we might change our opinions, but we'll see. Let's move on to management though. Very interesting section. They have, as Ryan mentioned, a relatively new CEO and Jeffrey Owen. Owen has been with DG since 1992. Seems to just have steadily worked his way up in the company. He was previously the COO since 2019. The CFO is new, joining the uh, company in 2019 as a VP of finance and became CFO in May of 2023. So basically, the two big leaders here are very new to taking the reins. I think that's key context. Now, if we look at the management incentives and executive compensation, which is a big important thing here, they're very typical in the structure compared to other large companies, but with some strange twists that I think we should hit here. So the, as we talked about a lot, they have... Any, uh, base salary, annual bonuses, and then 
long-term equity awards. So the annual cash bonuses are based on adjusted EBIT targets, not EBITDA, EBIT. So that is earnings before interest and taxes. Now, what gets adjusted out of EBIT? A few things here. Any cost due to a change in control, which would be you know like mergers, acquisitions, whatever. Disaster-related charges, LIFO adjustments. I don't think that's a huge one, but again, having that in there kind of concerns me. It gives you wiggle room to adjust, right? Uh, four, any unplanned event that exceeds $30 million in costs, plus a few other things. All these adjustments seem a bit loose to me. It gives them a bit of a flexibility that I don't necessarily like. Now, if you look at the actual numbers here, in 2022, the company had a target of 3.65-ish billion for adjusted EBIT, and that's to hit their you know bonus payments, right? They generated 3.9 billion in adjusted EBIT, so got their bonuses. But in 2022, its gap operating profit was $3.3 billion. And if you subtract out its decently sized interest expense of $211 million, its EBIT, uh, EBT, which is earnings before taxes, is $3.1 billion. So I, you know, man, I think a highlight for that is that they don't get paid unless they hit 90% of their adjusted EBIT target. So if the company's doing really poorly, like they are right now, they're probably not going to get their bonus. But I don't think in general, this seems like a good metric to, for the annual bonus. Now, what about their long-term performance stock units? They are based on adjusted EBITDA and adjusted return on invested capital. I'm not going to go through all the details here. But there's a lot of adjustments, right? And the adjusted ROIC or return on invested capital is a bit strange. Plus, the ranges for the bonuses are a bit tight at about 20% to 22%, which is, you can adjust that fairly easily, right? To hit your bonus, I think. You know what I mean? You can do a little bit of financial engineering to get those. So, as we all know, incentives are important for maturing businesses that need to find what to do with their capital, right? And this is especially true for a capital intensive business such as DG, you know, they're, they're investing as we'll talk about in Mexico, pop shelf, all these new initiatives for fresh items, coolers, frozen stuff. And I think having the incentives aligned here is very, very important. And I'm pretty disappointed in seeing this. Uh, I guess you know, another <laughs> arrow, uh, another score for the compensation consultants, right? I'll link in our Substack a great tweet from Mostly Borrowed Ideas, who is a synonymous account that does great work, uh, did great work on Dollar General. Uh, he explains this even further because I know it's a bit complicated. But Ryan, what do you think about these poor incentives? And then maybe I'll talk about what would be an ideal one, hopefully, for DG. Do, do you know what the total compensation was? No, but I don't necessarily. I don't think I necessarily care as much about that. Um, because it's a large enough business. It's not going to be too relevant. Although there were some numbers on how the old CEO got a lot of pay for the pandemic period, but now he's gone. I just would be worried about these are the things they're definitely targeting, right? Because they want to hit their bonus, their base salary is not that big. They always talk about aligning incentives, right? Ninety percent is at risk. Well, ninety percent is on bad metrics. Yeah, I think one of the things that frustrates me about having really any sort of adjusted target is that it's almost this. When you think about the executives versus the employees, it's like the for thee but not for me, where the employees are getting paid out of. The cash the business has, right? Like they're not getting they're not getting bonuses based on adjusted numbers, whereas the executives can kind of massage it to give themselves better pay. Whereas I don't know, the employees just don't get that benefit. I I don't know. I don't think this would entirely keep me out. Like this wouldn't be the make or break for me. Yeah, yeah, it concerns me. It's definitely something to watch, but. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. I don't think it changes the fundamentals of the business, but I think it changes where management's kind of push kind of the levers on the scale here. Now, what do you, I mean, 
a lot of people have heard us complain about these bad ones. What would be a good incentive structure? I think most of the time, you know, free cash flow per share is the ideal one to do. But for DG, which is going to be more capital intensive, they might have some good, you know, free cash flow might be depressed if they're investing a lot into new stores. I think the best option would be a using a return on invested capital that's just a standard invested capital. And then the return being gap operating profit minus interest expense and taxes because the interest expense is real here. You can't eat adjusted EBIT as a shareholder. And I would say if a manager can maintain, say, pick a number, return on invested capital greater than 15% on average for three years, they should get a fat bonus. Not until they've been there for three years and have managed that right. And if they don't get it, they get their base salary. I think that makes sense. But hey, the compensation, <laughs> all the compensation consultants disagree with me. Yeah, these, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's, I don't think we need to feel sorry for their base salaries either. These are very handsome base salaries. The Right, right. They're not in that 40000 or lower to, uh, uh, bracket either. And then I didn't have any of the ownership in there. I forgot to put it in, but that's because there wasn't anything relevant. No, not much insider ownership and just the indexes owning the uh, thing. Any I, notable stuff. Yeah. I think the best thing to track would be the discrepancy moving forward between their, what they report for adjusted EBIT and their true EBIT. Like if that continues to grow so that management keeps getting paid out, it's a big issue, I guess. So right. I think I would say that's the biggest thing to track is the discrepancy there, but let's move on. Let's get to earnings. I think this is where it gets a little interesting and we can raise some questions and maybe try to point some fingers out potential causes, but just to put like some overall numbers on it, dollar general generate. Well, over the last 12 months, they've generated $39 billion in trailing 12 month revenue. So just under 40 billion. They generate 31% gross margins, which is better than a lot of discount retailers. It's better than Walmart in general, and I'm guessing in the grocery division. And that has actually stayed pretty flat relative to pre-COVID. The gross margin has, despite operating margins coming in, they've been able to maintain high gross margins. So it kind of tells me that they might not be discounting to keep customers when they could. Like if they're seeing negative comps, but keeping gross margins high, I almost wonder if it would be better for them to drop prices on some of the things because it, yeah. I don't know. It, I mean, gross margin has come in a tiny bit. I think that's probably from the consumables mix changing since the discretionary items have a little higher margin, but yeah, it's hard to and, tell. It's hard to tell. Anyway, what so, so operating margins over the last 12 months have been 8% basically, and it's it's lower. This quarter has been coming down. That's the lowest it's been in 15 years. They typically average between nine to 10% operating margins. So what's happening here? I, I think I pulled this quote from our friend, Alex Morris, the science of hitting. It's his sub stack. He covers Dollar General in a lot of depth. I recommend checking it out, but I'm going to pull this quote here. He says, the problems arise as we move down the income statement. Specifically, Dollar General is likely to report 2023 EBIT margins of less than 7%, by far its worst result over the past 15 years. This, this reflects sustained margin pe pressure from a number of sources, consumables, mix shift, which that's just, you know, just to describe that a little more, people are buying less discretionary items and typically Dollar General gets a little higher margins on the discretionary items as opposed to the consumables where it's the most competitive. Anyway, so consumables mix shift shrink, which is that that theft or damaged goods aspect, product cost inflation, so just higher higher costs from suppliers, as well as incremental labor investments, sales, general and administrative deleveraging against lackluster comps. These factors have culminated in a significant hit hit to profitability. So I think there's a couple questions here that we need to answer if we're gonna potentially invest, which is I guess, and we didn't even talk about this, but store count for the longest time has been growing at like seven, seven and a half percent. They've been growing comp sales pretty strongly as well. That's allowed them to be a remarkable compounder. I, I mean, EPS is up tenfold since 2010 because of that kind of two-pronged approach along with buybacks. Yeah. So the three questions I have, and I think this determines our investment is, do we think they can continue to increase store count at let's call it low single digit to mid single digit percentage. 
do we think they can get back to nine to 10% operating margins? And do you think the pressure on comp sales will last? Yeah, the first one, store count this decade, they can probably do low single digit. It seems like there's plenty of room left to hit that 30,000 store mark. I don't think that's a huge concern. I know some people have that, but it's going to mature pretty quickly here. They're not, they, I don't think there's room to double their store count unless they really get successful in Mexico. But that's a long-term thing that we'll talk about. Uh, the, the margins, I don't think so. I think I, I would, I have doubts that it can even stay at 8%. Uh, I mean, if we look at their kind of the couple of years before COVID, they were facing the same problem. The margins are not too different today than they were then. Yeah, I don't, I really, I would have, I have low, low confidence they can get back margins to nine, 10%. And then comp sales, I think it depends if we're in a recession. I think it, they can probably get back to inflation levels, right? But it, it, I think that question is all determinant if we're in a recession. And recession is positive, uh, I guess. Yeah, the thing that intrigues me is like, you would think some of the comp sales lag or, or some of the struggles recently would just be due to the tough environment for their consumer. But this point has been brought up a number of times. The consumer is always in a tough spot. These are hourly workers. They're low income earners. It shouldn't, I would feel like their habits shouldn't be changing that much aside from maybe moving more to the consumables mix. Yeah. The, they talked about the snap benefits coming off, which I guess can be a one-time hit, but the analysts, I think are way off base talking about the health of the consumer because they want a generally, they want the consumer to be unhealthy. I'll show a chart later. They do better during recessionary periods. In 2000, I'm pretty sure during the GFC, a lot of people that were higher earners started to trade down, started to come into the dollar general stores that maybe previously wouldn't. But that's a topic. What are your, thought, the, what are, what are your thoughts on those questions? I think the comp, I mean, it kind of gets into the competitive advantage question because I still think, and now we haven't looked at Dollar Tree or Family Dollar, but I still think they're pretty insulated from competition. So my thought is, as long as there isn't some huge recession or you know a really really bad economic environment, they should get positive comp sales. I'm no, little... you want do we want a recession? We want a recession. <laughs> Maybe. You no, think... we do. Look at the look at this chart. I have lower. Two thousand four comp. These are comp sales. Two thousand four three point two. Two thousand five two point two. 2006, 3.3, 2007, 2.1%. Now, KKR, the buyout and revamp stuff, right? But I think it's pretty clear that the recession had impact here. 2008, 9%. 2009, 9.5%. 2010, 4.9%. 2011, 6%. So I think you want, we want a recession. If you're a dollar general, like specifically for dollar general, recessionary period, better. I think it matters how it comes. Like if it's a, consumer spending i mean maybe now at this point because they're not lapping big discretionary spending yeah it would benefit them but i think discretionary spending probably goes even lower which is their higher margin items in if recession gets any worse uh yeah i mean for comp sales sure uh, or excuse me margin sure but um, comp sales you know like Look, it was the biggest deflationary bust since the Great Depression, and they saw 9% comp sales two years in a row. All right. I just, something doesn't, it feels like they're spending less today. Like their consumer feel, it feels like their consumer spending a little bit less today because they're pinched. Doesn't that kind of, did you not have that takeaway from the conference call or, is, or did you think it was more competitive? Well, I think that the core consumer that's stuck around with them is getting the stimmies running off, the snap benefits are done, which is hitting them on the one-time thing, right? But no one's trading down yet because the health of everyone else is still good. But if we hit a recessionary period, we'll see a bunch of people trade down. Thank. I feel like the trade downs will move. I don't know. With Amazon and stuff today, it feels like a lot of the trading down would go there. Well, here's the, here's what happens. So you have the the month-to-month spenders, right? And when, this is just an example. At the end of the month, you're a little bit more cash pinch. You can go to Walmart uh, or on Amazon and you can buy a roll of toilet paper for 
uh, or Costco for, I guess Costco is not, is more urban. That's what a 12 pack, right? Or a 24 pack. And it's more, it's cheaper on a unit cost basis, but you can't afford that because it's the end of the month now. And you've had to trade down to Dollar General. You can buy a pack of two toilet papers, cost per unit's higher, but that's the only one you can afford. Yeah, I get that, but I don't think that's what's happened. I don't think that's what would happen with the trade down environment. Like the people that are making more than 70,000 that would that would have traded down in 08 and 09, I think maybe they start going, they're probably shifting more to Amazon instead of the luxury purchases at Whole Foods or whatever. Well, they're, you're not going to get anyone that's ever shopped at Whole Foods, but it's like it's the ones on the border and they're moving down to the, the core DG shopper. I mean, it's pretty clear in the data that they do well in a recessionary period. If you look in 1991, 11.2%. I believe that was a recession, although I had to remember my history correctly there. Okay, so I, then let's I, say, I don't know. It... All right, so then what's the comp sales problem? Right now? Yeah, that we're not in a recession, and the core income consumer that ha you know doesn't the non trade down. So the people that are always in the forty thousand, that grow that that people, and again forty thousand changes from inflation, but those people are not like that 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 slice of the pie isn't growing. Their percentage of the population isn't growing right now because the middle class or whatever is still doing great in a recession. A lot of people like those people during the GFC traded down, but then right now they're hitting for these. Lower income people, STEMI ran off, right? So discretionary is down. We've seen that in the data. Their comp sales on consumables are likely much higher, which is their core stuff, but lower margins. So that's why margins are compressed. And they're also getting hurt by the SNAP benefits and because they price a little than family dollar. So I think the biggest concern from an operational standpoint is probably family dollar and some of those other places that they can go to. But from a macro perspective, I think it's pretty explainable. And I wouldn't be too concerned. Yeah, I just don't know if I agree. And I think there's reasons the analysts are asking those questions, both at the conferences and the conference calls. Like, maybe they're over-obsessing about it, but... It doesn't feel... It doesn't feel like you can just explain it away with family dollars winning, you know? Yeah, I think you can explain it with, I mean, we'll see. Like, I'm not super confident here, but. Let's get to the balance sheet and we can revisit this in a second. But they have a lot of, or they have minimal cash, decent amount of debt. So $7 billion in total debt, almost all of its fixed rate. A lot of it's due after 2027. The weighted average interest rate on that is 4.5%. They've done, like Brett mentioned earlier, $3.9 billion in trailing 12-month EBITDA. So really less than two times net debt to EBITDA ratio, very manageable, very low interest rate. So all in all, I, I thought the balance sheet was pretty simple. There's some interesting stuff going on with the inventory that I kind of had a hard time piecing through because there's been a slight jump in per store inventory volumes, but there's also been shrink issues. And I, I just don't know if I'd look at it and think it's that big of an issue. They said they're going to blow through a little bit of it in Q4. So we'll see what happens. Or excuse me, the second half of the year. Yeah, it didn't seem so that out of line in terms of the inventory jump. So I, I didn't call anything out specifically, but they, they talked a little bit about it on the conference call. So maybe worth keeping an eye on because for a business like that or a business like this, inventory balances is going to have a huge impact on cash flow. Uh, in the short term and potentially the long term if they have big markdowns. So I guess let's hit the valuation real quick and yeah. we can kind of revisit it later. Yeah. So just for reference for everyone, the most, I think the most important question here is going to be the margin, right? And margin is related to other things, but at its core, I think a big question for investors is what sort of profit margin, whatever you want to use. I just used operating margin gap operating margin. And I just took enterprise value divided by operating margin. And I put it at 8%, which is their actual for the last 12 months. And I did seven, six, and five. So 
trailing till month. If we do an EV to operating income at an 8% margin, set nine and a half, I'll have a table in the uh, newsletter with a, a little bit, you know, some more numbers here. Then if we go down to 5%, they're trading at 15 times earnings. And that's before taxes and interest payments. So if margins slide more, the stock might not be that cheap. And if margins stay a little more elevated, closer to the 8% now, or maybe even 7%, the stock might be cheap. I think that's really it. All right. Anecdotal yeah. evidence. We live near a big city, so don't think I've ever been to one of these, but maybe on a road trip, I'll stop by at some point. Ryan, any thoughts here anecdotally? No, really. I'm not, I don't think I'm the target customer and I can't remember the last time I went to one. A lot of the dollar stores to me, they seem basically interchangeable. Like I don't really have any sort of like if I'm Very going basic. to a dollar store, yeah. I don't really think like, oh no, I got to go to Dollar General before Family Dollar or whatever. So it's not a big difference to me. What I think about sometimes we use this anecdotal evidence as more of just a gut reaction to the business. My thought here is I think there's a scenario five years from now where we look back and think that was a weird, unexplainable blip in comp sales. Yeah. That solved it, that just kind of worked itself out. Because I really do, I mean, unless Family Dollar is just encroaching on every one of their stores and beating them on price on everything, which I, I don't think and that's they're the not, case. And they're not exactly overlapped, right? right. Uh, we'll look at them next week. but I guess. Yeah. Or I mean, exactly overlapped on, like not all their locations are in the same 20, right? right? Not in the same towns, yeah. I would say unless Family Dollar is absolutely killing them they're still pretty insulated from competition. So it's kind of feels like this weird, unexplainable blip. Maybe a new management team is just bad. Like could be, yeah. could be uh, future growth opportunities though. I really didn't have any because the, the model is so simple here. I mean, there's stuff they need to right size in terms of like the supply chain, but I don't have any, you know, I don't have any two, wisdom there. Um, what about the 2000 tractor fleet they have now? They have their own tractors. I, didn't, um, I did not know that. Oh, I guess seems private a bit label. Strange. We can maybe talk about private label here. They talk about that as being a margin driver. Maybe. Yeah. I, They've, they are opening some stores in Mexico, but it seems like very little momentum. It's really there. new. Well, they said they were doing well, but again, how it's irrelevant today. I think that's a good market to go after, though. There's a lot what? of low-income payers, a lot of people. Like, I've been to Mexico. There's a lot of stuff like this. I mean, there's some competitors there in Oxo and stuff, but. And it's not, I think it's called the Me, Me Super Dollar. Yeah, well, it's just. It's not the, yeah, Me uh, some, some other yeah. banner, but I don't know. I've never seen. I've never seen a management team that entered a new market and said, yeah, it's going really poorly. We're done. That's true. Yeah. So it kind of feels like. Well, AutoZone in Brazil. Oh, no, no. They said it was going well in Brazil. No, they said, I believe they said that they have terrible unit economics at the moment, but they think they'll get solved. Oh, maybe I'm conflating it with Mexico, but the. Mexico had better than US, Brazil, much worse. But yeah. It. I don't know. I don't really have any big future growth opportunities here because the recipe is so simple. Yeah, it is interesting. I think mine counterintuitively is going, my future growth opportunity is going to be getting rid of some of their, I would call dumb strategic initiatives they have right now. There's Pop Shelf, which I think is very, we didn't hit on that yet, but it's a pure, it's a separate brand, purely discretionary item. So no consumables, right? And it's sort of like five below. Maybe it's more rural focused. And I think it maybe is more attuned to not just kids, but older people as well. But I think that's just a tough market to go after and really not smart. We'll see. Hey, prove me wrong. There's this thing called DG Media, I believe. I think it's going to be a waste of expenses. Uh, there's all this focus on fresh produce, coolers, freezers in the stores. I don't think that's their core competency and it sounds expensive. Uh, there's a DoorDash partnership, which makes zero sense to me because of where their stores are located. Uh, I would hope back they pull back on some of these things and invest more into the store labor, which seems to be the big issue. A lot of the stores being run down, not as well run, and maintain or regain the value proposition they've lost in some of these stores. Uh, I do like the Mexico thing, though. Seems pretty smart. All, All right. right. Highlights and lowlights. Let me go first here. Highlights. 
Well, I talked about this a little bit earlier, but I think for the most part, they're insulated from competition, right? The, the online competition doesn't seem realistic because people are making these purchases on an as-need basis, typically for their family on the way home. They don't want to wait and they don't want to pay shipping fees to get stuff to buy a $3 item. The other part is they still generate good unit economics in their stores. So it's not, I think that raises the floor for this investment because it's not like you're getting, like if they just kept their existing store base and margins contracted a little, they're still generating enough cash flow to cover their debts. They're still generating enough cash flow to, you know, make this okay and maybe at one point start buying back some stock. But it's not going to be a wonderful investment. It's just to say that, you know, it won't be as good as people expected in the past. Low lights for me, though, feels like they're getting a little closer to store count saturation. We've seen store count growth simmer down even prior to COVID, kind of 2017, I believe, is when it started to slow on a percentage basis. That's to be expected. The other part for me is Rick drilling going to Dollar Tree. I can't think of a person who knows how to steal market share from Dollar General better than him. Like he's right. the best person for that job. What when other, was it? Was it really recent or how recent was that? I want to say four or five months ago. Wow. Okay. Yeah. He was he was the I would believe he was on the board and then January twenty twenty January twenty twenty three. Sorry. Continue. Okay. They fired or they had their CEO resign after the dollar to dollar twenty. It's kind of funny. They made him this is what it felt like. They made that jump from their dollar menu, I guess you want to call it that, to a dollar twenty-five. And everyone was kind of outraged by it, but they kept it. They fired the CEO, they brought in someone new, and they said they broke the buck. And they're like, well, that was the old management team, but they haven't like walked it back. So it feels like they might be in a good spot now. Um yeah. Feel bad for the old CEO though. The current management team at Dollar General to me is probably the biggest low light. They don't feel very convincing. We've seen no proof of them like getting the results you would want as a shareholder. And when I listened to them on conference calls and at that recent conference, I can't remember what it was, it's like commentary that I hate and kind of like wince at as a shareholder, where it's like, we feel really good about some of the initiatives that are going on under the hood. We put, we, you know, oh yeah, our supply chain's been a huge issue. Don't worry, we put a team on it. Like, yeah, we're working just, through I, it. Just identifying yeah. problems doesn't mean anything. Like they, they called out some of the problems and they're like, we feel really good about this moving forward. And it just felt like they weren't being, they weren't very accountable. I just came away kind of not liking that team. Yeah, I don't have confidence in them, but. Hey, prove us wrong. I think, yeah, they talk about stuff like, oh, we're working through it. We're working through it. And it's like, well, you guys just need to pay your labor a little bit more, right? It's not a hard problem. I don't know. Investors might not like that. <laughs> yeah, well, they need to do it. Uh, my highlights, core business, like Ryan said, in the core geographies, strong moat. Uh, it's it's very tough to get another sizable general store in these small towns that are going to be profitable, right? So there are people are incentivized to stay away. There's no reason anyone would want to do this. Uh, I like the history of buybacks. Shares are standing down 31.5% in the last 10 years. And I'm sure if the company had stayed public for longer uh, with that other management team, it would have been continued. But with the buyback program, with the levered buyback program, things can go poorly, right? As in the 2000s. We saw the company deteriorate, which I think is a bit concerning for me with a new management team coming in now and then the company getting a take under from KKR. Uh, third one, counter-cyclical. Uh, we look at this chart I will have in the investor day that we've been discussing. Uh, same store sales growth accelerated in 2008 and 2009, and that was during a deflationary bust. Um, I'd also note here, I just, just noticed this, is that in 2000, during the peak of the dot-com bubble, 0.9%. That was their worst historically from 1990 to 2015. So that's interesting as well. Lowlights. Uh, we already talked about it. Don't trust management. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if margins continue to compress. I kind of think that's a good thing though, because they probably need to invest into their stores more. Some of them look pretty atrocious anecdotally. What do you think 
What do you think keeps margins low? Just the fact that they underinvested in labor and the fact that it was just a one-time bump in, in discretionary items during the pandemic. If we look at pre-COVID, margins were trending downwards from 2014 to 2019. So I would think that continues. And as more of the, they're investing more in consumables, right? So. And maybe it has been just the overall like mix shift from 2014 onwards. I think a lot of people don't want to attribute it purely to the mix shift lapping COVID, but I'm guessing consumables has grown as a percentage of their sales since 2014 and beyond. Yeah, and I didn't make that chart yet, but I definitely should for the newsletter. And then labor too, right? They, they, I think they underinvested recently. They need to bump wages up, hire more people. There's been a lot of complaints from people that visit stores saying, hey, these see much are staffed and there's just a bunch of inventory laying around. Uh, and then the other low light, Ryan mentioned the competition from Family Dollar is getting better. And I didn't even know the thing about management when I wrote that down. So that makes it doubly concerning. And then debt costs are going to rise uh, as higher interest rates continue now. They managed it fairly well, but right now interest rates are higher. So that's the facts that we were given. Okay. This has been a long episode, but let's close it out with bull case, bear case. Ryan, final thought or second to final thoughts here. And the bull case is that the current headwinds are overblown. Comp sales return, margins let's say stay at seven to eight percent if they get back to nine or ten percent you're in you know Beautiful. perfect territory yeah. as a shareholder and then they can kind of reinstitute the buyback so i i didn't even run the numbers but if you believe that store count can grow by a little each year little on a percentage basis they can return to positive comps and they do get those margins back I, it works here. Uh, it's above our hurdle rate, which is like 15%. I'm sure of it. Yeah. I I mean, yeah. You'll eventually get to 50 billion in revenue, 60 billion in revenue, slap on 7% operating margin on 50 billion in revenue, three and a half billion, right? Mm-hmm. Am I getting that correct? And then look at the EV today. I mean, you'll probably do fine. Plus if, if it keeps growing in the future. Yeah. I had the same thing. Uh, if margins don't deteriorate a ton, I think you probably work out to solid returns here. And eventually, if you know cash flow is consistent, they eventually start turning back on the buyback at this cheapish multiple, which again, it's not that cheap if margins deteriorate a lot. But I think revenue growth, you know, pretty easily achievable here. They're going to ride through with inflation. Yeah, it'll work. Um, bear case, though, I think, is there's been a permanent change in the discount retail landscape. I think that's the the bear case, either from their input costs, which would be labor plus you know the supplies, right, or comp competitive stuff, right. I keep saying right, right, too much on this episode, but what what do you think? Is that true? Has something permanently changed here? I don't know, but I do think that is the long term bear case. If if something has permanently changed, that hurt is hurting their competitive position and it's kind of kind of the slow grind down in comp sales or comp sales are lower than inflation every year they're gonna you know they're gonna have a hard time at their stores there's gonna be top line and bottom line pressure because the labor wages are gonna have to go up so it i, I think that is the long-term concern i'm not 100 percent sure that's the case and i think that's why we're doing dollar tree as our next episode so yeah hopefully we can get better context there uh final thoughts the more or less interested ryan i'm more interested i don't think you can invest in this unless you do thorough research on dollar tree as well because i think it's really important they have to understand the competitive set before determining before you can really determine what the problems are right now going on at dollar general so more interested we'll see after next week if i'm still more interested yeah that's going to be a fun one. Yes, I agree with that as well. I'm more interested, but I am uncertain on whether there's been a permanent change here or whether this management team is really hurting Dollar General's prospects and taking them in the wrong direction. All right. This was a long one, but hopefully anyone that listens got a lot of, we had some good debate this episode and I, hopefully there was a lot of good information out there for everyone. If you want more of that, we have the Substack, which you can subscribe to for free. I'll have all our charts show notes, everything else, and links 
to other resources that we used for Dollar General. It's been a highly covered stock as of late. All right, let's get to the disclosure. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you, everyone. Again, we'll see you next time. Thank you.